0: Welcome to the Restoration Church weekly podcast. Please take a minute to subscribe to our YouTube channel and follow us on Facebook and Instagram. And be sure to download the Church Center app. This is the best way to stay connected and up to date with all that's happening at Restoration Church. Most importantly, we hope the following message will help draw you closer to Christ. Thanks for listening. be surprised how many videos I watched of people answering that question. Uh, does anyone want to know what the number one answer was? Good deeds, yes. As long as you're a good person, you get to heaven. That's basically what people think in the world. For those of you who follow Jesus, is that true? No, okay. So I might be preaching to the choir here this morning, um, but hopefully uh, this question, somebody asked this question of, How does salvation work, you know, how how does this, you know, Christianity, that's great, but how does it all work? Like, what is required of us? So somebody obviously had this question, so hopefully it's it's helpful to you, but not only to you, it's helpful to your witness, your ability to converse with your neighbors and your coworkers and your friends and family who may have this question as well. We are in a series titled Asking for a Friend. Over the course of several months, we collected about 20 questions or so from you. And we are answering those questions throughout the series today. How does salvation work next week? What if someone has never hears of Jesus? Um, having understood what salvation is like, Jesus is a crucial component of that. Well, what if someone never hears of Jesus, right? That's an interesting question. Um, does my faith have to look like my parents' faith? And then there's kind of eight random questions that I'm going to tie together into a single narrative on Father's Day. Uh, should be good times. Um, and then, about, I, I mentioned this, about a third of the questions that I received all had to do with human sexuality. How do I talk with those who are LGBTQ? You know, what, what does the scripture have to say about all of these? And so we are going to start a series in July titled, Let's Talk About You and Me. Um, some people think that's a confusing image for that. And I'm like, yeah, well, sexuality is confusing, right? And so we're going to We're going to lean into this and see what scripture has to say about human sexuality in the month of July. I continue to covet your prayers as I read book after book after book on the subject and wrestle with scripture myself. So. Here's what you're going to see a lot in this series. We talk about this every single week so far. This is um, an, an image of how we understand and how we converse about Christian doctrine and dogma. In the center are these ideas that we are going to die on, issues that we're going to die on, theological stances that we are going to die on, and there aren't many of them. But literally, like, in the first century, if, if Paul came around, uh, and when, when the uh, Romans dragged Paul before the chopping block, right, he was willing to die on Jesus' Lord. Literally, people have been drugged to the stake over the centuries, and they died on these, on these issues, on these beliefs. And so there are some things that we are willing to die on as followers of Jesus, but there's a lot of things, most things, in fact, that are just interesting conversations to defend or to debate, Doctrines right and i'm not going to die on that hill we can still be friends We can have differing viewpoints We can believe different things about these and think different things and we can look at different scripture And we can still be friends in the end and a lot of christians just do not understand that we can still be friends And the world looks at the church is like that is exactly why I don't want anything to do with christianity is because you're all so divisive You 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 pick apart these little minute details and you're like you can't be friends and you you die on all the wrong hills and so we need to understand this as well, right? That there are some things that we, just, that we should not die on some things. We should ha- be friends. We should still have unity. We should still love one another. We need to choose our conversations and our die on hills very wisely. And today we're talking about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And my friends, that's a die on hill for me. Literally, there's, there's nothing else, right? If, if the gospel doesn't exist, then, then I'm wasting my time. If the gospel isn't true, I'm wasting my time. You're wasting your time. We shouldn't be here. We should be down the shore. We should be doing any number of things today. We're all wasting our time if the gospel isn't what the gospel is. And so I'm going to recap very, very, very quickly where we've been the last couple weeks. Um, I would encourage you, though, to go back and listen to the series on our podcast, the media tab of our website, Facebook, YouTube, tons of different ways that you can get access to all these conversations. We determine in week one that there is sufficient evidence to warrant belief in God. And that's all I'm going to say about that. Okay, there is sufficient evidence to, believe, to warrant belief in God. And then we determine that Jesus is the only solution to the problem that everybody knows that they have. He is the only person who offers us forgiveness. Every other religion simply tells us to try harder. A very distinct and unique difference. Unfortunately many of the versions of christianity out there tell us though the same thing That you just need to try harder you need to be a good person all these people said You just need to be a better person. You just need to try Harder, you know one of the one of the core memories after having just come to faith in jesus in high school Was the time that I shared the gospel for the very first time one of the and that's the reason why I can still remember this We were waiting in the lunch line at school, and my friends ahead of me were recapping the lessons that they had learned the previous night in CCD. And they were talking, hypothetical conversation, they are saying, well, well, what if someone commits suicide, right? What if somebody committed suicide? I know that's a, that's, a, that's a trigger, that's a very sensitive topic, they were talking about this, what if someone commits suicide, what happens to that person? Stating that if someone were to commit suicide, that they wouldn't be in heaven because killing is a sin, and that sin then wasn't able to be confessed, and therefore there was no heaven. How many of you grew up in a faith system that told you that because of what you have done, God doesn't accept you? Some of you grew up in a faith system like that because of what you have done. You are not accepted and if you want to be accepted, then you have to go and work You have to go and atone. You have to go and do something to cover up what you have done And then maybe if you do enough if you can tip the scale in your favor If you can cover it up to a fullest extent, then maybe you will be accepted by god As a baby christian, I didn't know much about the christian faith, but I knew that that was not the gospel See, anytime you introduce work into the gospel, you strip it of both its power and its effect. Because our work is a rejection of God's loving action, and it's a rejection of God's active spirit in our life. When we say it's about me and what I do, salvation through work makes it all about us and we and what we have done, <clears throat> which puts us in control and God in our debt. Why don't you to think about this for a moment? when it is about what I have done, when I have accumulated enough good deeds, right, and accumulated enough good works, then doesn't God owe me something? God is in my debt. I am in control in this relationship. God owes me something because of the work I've done, which accelerates my pride and hardens my sin. Your attempt to save yourself is a rejection of what God has done for you. If you are basing your salvation, your acceptance before God on what you have done, then you are rejecting everything that God has done for you. I remember this lunchtime conversation. Again, it was the first time that I was able to share the gospel. I said to them, friends, 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 come on. We were dead in our sins. But here's what what Paul wrote to Timothy. We were dead in our sins, but Jesus Christ, he came to save sinners. That's good news. That's good news if you recognize that you're a sinner. That's good news if you recognize that you don't have what it takes to earn your way to God. That's good news if you know that your failures condemn you. It's good news. Jesus Christ came in the world to save sinners. He wrote to the Ephesians, we were dead in our sins. But because of God's love for us, he made us alive with Christ Jesus. And this is a gift of grace. It's not, it's not through what you have done. It's not about your own good works. It's not about collecting that mountain of good works or tipping the celestial scale in your favor. It is not about what you have done. It is a gift of God so that no one can boast. Here's what he wrote to the Colossians. He said that we were dead in our sins, which puts us in God's debt. Again, God's not in my debt. God doesn't owe me anything. I am indebted to God. And every time you sin, but keep on living i'm gonna think about this every time you sin and we've all done this right this morning as We all sinned right, but we kept on living. We were borrowing from grace or We were borrowing from borrowing from life. And so we racked up this incredible life debt Paul is saying but jesus paid our debt by emptying out his life on the cross on our behalf And this is how paul explains it to the romans He says that no one is declared righteous In god's sight by works of the law Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. So the law is like a mirror. How inadequate and how filthy we actually are. We look at the law and it just reflects back how filthy and sinful that we actually are. Those who try to find life under the law will always be disappointed because the purpose of the law was to reveal our sin. That's all the law was meant to do. Was to reveal how sinful we actually are, how in need of grace we actually are. The, sin was, the law was never meant to save us. There's no amount of following the law that was ever meant to save us. It was just to help us realize how sinful we actually are. And sin separates us from God. Our relationship with God has been broken. And being good or following the law or being religious, it can't fix it. That's what Paul is saying. No one is declared righteous by how good you are, by the works of the law. But now, he says, apart from the law, righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. The law wasn't God's plan from the beginning. It wasn't, it wasn't reclaiming relationship with us. It's not how God wanted to go about it. The law and the prophets themselves spoke of a different plan, of a different way of how God was going to restore and reconcile and redeem his people. The righteousness, the right relationship, the reconciliation, the restoration is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. See, right relationship with God, salvation comes by trusting in Jesus Christ. And then he goes on to say that everybody, it doesn't matter if you're Jew or Gentile, we all have the same problem. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came through Christ Jesus. And so God has healed our relationship, not because we deserved it, not because we had earned it. God did it because of grace because of his love for us he fixed it not because of anything that we had done it was a gracious provision to pay off debt as he nailed our sin to the cross so my friends in the in the lunch line you know they were just kind of looking at me i explained the gospel to them and i kind of i boiled all this down right like this is kind of a i didn't go on for 15 minutes talking about all these bible verses but I, I, I boiled it down. We are sinners. God did the work. It's not about what we had done. God did the work. And so they just had this like, glaze in their eyes as they're looking at me you know, on the lunch line. They're like, what? Like, so, so, so what about, what about you know, the, the suicide? Can that person be saved? And I said, yeah. Because salvation is about what Jesus has done, not about what we have done. Either sin or our attempts at solving it. We've all done things that disqualify us from a restored relationship with God. Do you guys recognize that? Every single person has done things that disqualify us from a restored relationship with God. But thanks be to God. He reconciles us. He redeems us. He restores us through his son, Jesus Christ. Not through my own good works. Not through what I have done. Not through tipping the scale in my favor. No, he does the work. Thanks be to God. He has done it for us. So, I want to spend just a few minutes talking about this one word. Because this is a really important word in this whole thing. Trust. Whenever we see this word... Trust you you could also belief or faith in scripture. They're all the same word in the greek language pisteo The greek word pisteo you could translate it trust believe faith. It's all the same word The first bible that I ever the first bible verse that I ever read was on a wooden plaque in a in a camp in northern minnesota Here's what it said. It said believe Pisteo pisteo in the lord jesus christ and you will be saved so again, I had really no context for the Christian faith. I had really no understanding. I didn't really know what it was about. I had never read anything other than this in the Bible before. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. And so I started thinking about what believe means and I was like, okay, if if I can if I can, you know, gather up all the evidence and I can reason my way through it and and, and I can be convinced that Jesus lived and Jesus died and he did what he claimed to have done then I will be saved. Isn't that what belief means? It's a cognitive ascent towards something. Belief is all in the head, I thought. I assumed belief was all in the head. Now, the Bible commands us to use reason and evidence. Right? Jesus, Jesus said that we ought to love the Lord God with all of our mind. Right? God speaks to the prophet Isaiah. Come now, let us reason together. Peter urges us to always be prepared to give an answer. Paul commends us to destroy arguments that are opposed to the truth of Christianity. And he declares that Christianity is false unless the resurrection is a historical fact. So here's the thing. We as Christians don't get brawny points for being stupid. All right, we don't. Naivety is not a Christian virtue, friends. Blind trust, blind belief, that is not a Christian virtue. We are supposed to know what we believe and why we believe it. But I'm going to tell you something that took me years to learn. And I'm going to tell it to you in the next you know, five minutes or so. But if you can embrace this, friends, it will change your life. Merely knowing that Jesus is the Savior isn't enough to save you. Merely having a cognitive assent, a belief, a mental picture of Jesus is not enough to save you. You have to go from belief that Jesus is your Savior to belief in Jesus as your Savior. Those are the two kinds of biblical faith. Belief that is based on reason and evidence. Belief in is how you respond to reason and evidence. Belief that is more a matter of the heart and mind. Belief in is more of a matter of the heart and the will it's interesting paul says in romans chapter 10 he says confess in the lord jesus christ and you will be saved and believe in your heart that he rose from the dead isn't that weird believe in your heart that's not where you believe you believe in your mind no believe in believe in not just believe that you need to believe in let me let me parse out the distinction a bit more when, you, when your car starts making weird noises, right, and, there's, and, and you need to take it to the mechanic, you have trust that the mechanic you bring it to is qualified and he has the tools and the knowledge of how your car is going to run so that he might potentially fix it. If you have something wrong with your kidneys or internal organs and you need to go get a surgery, you have belief that the surgeon you choose is qualified and has the skill sets and the education needed to fix you. If you're going to make an investment with your money, believe that the investment and the company has good practices and are ethical and has a good you know, history of of, of bonds and stocks and of increasing people's investments. When you're going to marry someone, when you think about this, right? You're in a relationship with someone. You, you, you believe that they're going to make a good spouse because you've seen their character and you've met their friends and you know them, hopefully spent some time with them. We make our decisions based on good evidence, in other words. Belief that, belief that, belief that. We research the mechanic. We read the re- reviews. We talk to our friends who've used them as well. Same with the surgeon. We analyze their medical history. We, we look at their credentials. We talk to people who have used this surgeon in the past. Emily and I knew each other's character. and We knew each other's love for Jesus, which is really, really important to each of us. Not only did we know this from experience, we knew this from reputation. So we we talked to each other's friends. We got to know the communities that we hung out with. We saw each other act outside of being together. And we determined that they would make a good spouse. See, it is wise to look at the evidence before making decisions. But all the evidence in the world did not make them my mechanic. All the evidence in the world did not make them my surgeon. All the evidence in the world did not make Emily my wife. What was necessary to actually enter into relationship? It was a belief in. It was trust in. It was handing over control. It was, it was surrendering the car over to the mechanic. You guys ever been like, oh, my car's making horrible noise. Mechanic, can you just fix it over the phone? Can you just fix the problem, you know, from, from where you are right now? No, I've got to hand the keys over. I've got to drop the car off at the mechanic shop for them to actually do anything with it. The same with the surgeon. Surgeon, can you just fix my problem over the phone? No, I've got to go lay my body down upon the operating table. I've got to hand it over. I've got to surrender it to somebody else's hands. I have to surrender my money over to the investors. Can't, 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 can't you just like give me more money without me having to invest my money into your bank? No, that's not how it works. You got to give me your money. Trust me with your money and then we can do something with it. How many of you guys have ever done a trust fall? That's right? a simple, simple experiment. It's kind of the same idea. You stand there all day claiming this person is capable. This person is strong enough. This person has the, the hand-eye coordination to catch me. Uh, this person is not going to be distracted even if their phone rings as i'm falling i've trust that they're not going to like Oh, I got a phone call. I'm gonna put, uh, I trust that they're going to receive me We do this right we we trust in the person, but if you just stand there All day long, I, I believe you I believe you have everything it takes to, to catch me, but But i'm not going to drop Is that trust in that's trust that yes, but is it trust in? It's not. You need to move towards it. You see, trust and surrender are two accompanying dependent motions towards the same goal. It's like two legs. It's like two legs. If you only had one leg, you could wobble. Yes, you could get around. Yes, you could move forward. It would take you a long time. It would be hard. It would be challenging. But with two legs together, you can run. I could claim I believed Emily would make a good wife, but until we showed up at the altar and trusted in one another, combined our lives and trusted our lives, poured everything we are into each other and out and before each other, it was all just a hypothetical scenario. It would always just be an intellectual journey. So friends, likewise, believing... That Jesus is the Savior is only the first step. Yes, you need to gather up your evidence. That's important. right? Naivety is not a Christian virtue. We need to gather up the evidence. That's really important. But you need to move beyond just trusting that Jesus is the Savior. You need to trust in Jesus as your Savior. Trusting that just doesn't go far enough. God isn't interested in mere intellectual assent any more than a girlfriend is interested in merely being told that she'd make a good wife. God seeks a love relationship from us and won't force himself on us. So we intellectually know him that exists. We can trust in him. Yes, we can believe that he is the savior. But we will never receive the benefit of being his We'll never receive the benefit of his life of his holy spirit until we trust in him until we surrender ourselves over to him Here's how john put it at the end of his gospel He looked at the life of jesus and he sums it up this way these signs All the miracles all the teachings everything that is written in this gospel up to this point These are written that you may believe that you may believe that jesus is the christ. That's an important part of it Yes Believe that he is the son of God and that by believing you may have life in His name see the signs provide the evidence for belief that so you will have the intellectual confidence to trust in Jesus For eternal life So friends salvation is a free gift offered to us It is not given to us because we're good enough. It is given to us Because God loves us And despite the fact that we are sinners Christ came into our mess to save us and to redeem us and to restore us. And we can believe that he did that and that's and that's good, right? That's a good place to start. Believe that he did that. But until you hand your very life over to him in surrender, you'll always just be an intellectual exercise. And your relationships will never change. And you'll never find the peace that Jesus talks about and you'll never find the wholeness and you'll never find the the confidence to move forward and the power of the Holy Spirit to propel you into joy and the patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control and to be a person of justice and to be a person of grace and mercy and who is able to forgive. All of these things that come along with trusting in Jesus when handing your control, your will, your life over to Jesus to do his work in you. I'm with the band forward. We're going to sing a final song as we uh, conclude our time together this morning. So a, co- a couple questions I have for some of you. Are you ready to be free? Are you ready to be free of the, the, the sin that has entangled you and, and keeps tripping you up and holds you down? Are you ready to stop waiting in guilt and shame? Some some of you live your life with perpetual guilt because we talked about this last week, that religion, all of your attempts at solving your own problems, it's a perpetual guilt machine. That's all it's going to do is continue to make you feel more guilty. That's what religion is designed to do. Religion is designed to make you feel guilty. Paul said it in Romans 3, right? The law was meant to make you aware of how sinful you actually are. It was never meant to give you a solution. it's just to make you aware of how guilty. You actually are. Friends, are you ready to move forward? Are you ready to get unstuck? Are you ready to be free? The gospel is really not all that complicated. We have made it very, very complicated. Friends, we're sinners. And the wages of sin is death. But thanks be to God who demonstrates his love for us that while we were still sinners, he paid the penalty of our sin. If you have never trusted, if you have never trusted in Christ as your Savior, I'm, I'm going to say a prayer, and this isn't a magical prayer this morning. Nothing about it is special. But if you prayed along with me, with contrition and repentance, saying, God, I, I maybe have only kept you as an intellectual idea for all my life, and I'm ready. I'm ready to put my trust in you. And you know what the beauty is? You're going to walk away saved from this place. And you're going to walk away with the power of the Holy Spirit guiding you. And then we invite you on a journey here at Restoration Church. We want to help you grow into Christ-likeness. And that's what's so beautiful about Starting Point. That's what's so awesome about all the courses that we have to offer is that they're going to help you grow in community with other people to become more like Christ. Because the thing is, like, I trusted in Christ when I was 16 at summer camp. When I read that verse on the wall, I did it out of fear. I talked about this before, like I just didn't want to burn in hell, and so I trusted in Christ. But I didn't become perfect that day, and I'm still not perfect now. It's a journey that I am gone on. And all of us will be on a journey until the day we die and Christ restores us fully into his image. And so I really want you to grow with us is all I'm trying to say. Don't, don't just don't just think I trusted in Jesus, great, now I don't need to do anything else. No, you need to cultivate your relationship. You need to grow. Otherwise, you know what we do? We drift toward selfishness. And our garden that we're cultivating gets cluttered with weeds and it chokes out the life of Christ in us. And so I really, really do encourage you to grow, get into a starting point group, start your journey. And then, starting next week, we're going to start having baptisms on Sunday morning. And I got towels and I got t-shirts. I got it all, friends, all right? We're we're ready to go. I got heaters for the baptism, right? We're ready to go. Some of you didn't experience the heaters before, and I apologize, right? But for those of you moving forward, I don't know how hot it's going to get, but it's... If you've never been baptized as a believer in Jesus, a declaration of what Christ has already done in you, then you have three weeks, the next three weeks, opportunities for you to be baptized. Let me know. I would love, love for you to celebrate baptism with us. New life in Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, I am a sinner. I confess that. I confess it, Father. I acknowledge it. I know what that has done to me personally. I know what it's done to my own heart and my own mind, my own body, and the decisions I've made, the selfish choices I've made. I am a sinner, Father. I know what it's done to my household. I know what it has done to my children, what it's done to my spouse. I know the chaos it creates when I choose selfishness. I am a sinner, Father. And I believe that you love me. I believe that you have come into this world to pay for every single sin that I have, am, and will ever commit. I believe that... You are preparing a beautiful life for me to live full of abundant joy and grace here and now on this side of eternity and then restored and reconciled and redeemed for all of eternity then on. And so, Father, knowing that the evidence is there, I trust in you. I believe in you now. I surrender my life. I hand it over, Father. I am going to lay down my control. My control at being religious and controlling my own faith, my control at at, at controlling other people, my attempts at controlling other people, my control of of nitpicking every single detail of my own life, Father, I'm going to start trusting more in who you are. As I give myself over to you, I pray that as your Holy Spirit, Father, empowers me, then that it would propel my love, my self-sacrificial love, Father, and, and that will be the evidence and that will be the fruit of knowing that I am yours that when your love for me starts to bleed out from me. And so, Father, I, I, I trust in what you have done for me. You have paid every sin. You have gone to the cross. You have died the death that should have been mine. On my behalf, you have exchanged your life for my death. So mind-boggling, mind-boggling Father, I don't entirely get it. I do not comprehend the totality and the fullness of your love, but I want to try. I want to explore it. I want to learn so father thank you thank you for what you've done for me thank you may gratitude forever be upon my lips maybe may i be a person walking in grace may grace just bleed out from me may i be more gracious father because you have been so gracious towards me thank you for all that you've done for me father i pray this in the name of your son jesus amen Hey, I'd love for you, if you pray that prayer, maybe maybe you're committing your life for the first time in Jesus, I would love to talk with you. I really would. I'd love to celebrate with you.